Good evening, church family and friends on this Bondi service. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we are open and at your disposal. Come among us, Jesus. Come among us. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You can imagine that during the supper, there may have been some whispering between the disciples. You know, maybe something like, well, you know, I really appreciate the guy that gave us this place, but, you know, he, he could have had a servant to wash our feet. I mean, that's just like, you know, that's standard. That's just bottom line and little comments like that. And then during the meal, they see Jesus get up as they're talking, and he makes his way over toward the basin, and maybe one of them says, well, it looks like the master's just tired of waiting for the servant. He's going to wash his own feet. And he pours water into the basin, and then he takes off his outer garment, and then he puts a towel around, and there must have been a hush. And then he turns around, and he's smiling. Got the basin in his hands, and he comes straight toward you, straight at you, and uh, your stomach drops. You break out in a bit of a sweat, and he comes up to you, and he stoops, and he puts the basin on the ground, and he gets down on his knees. He smiles at you, and you feel the sensation of water and uh, the Lord's rough hands, because he was a worker, right? Right? rough hands as he holds your feet, but gently so, he examines them attentively and he begins to wash them. The heel, top of the foot, around the nails, in between the toes even. He's unhurried. Maybe during that time he begins to talk to you and says, well, how's your mother doing? How's your dad doing? How's your sister doing? And then he dries your feet and you're so stunned you can barely get out, thank you. And he smiles at you and says, you're welcome. And he moves on to the next person. Has Jesus washed your feet? Have you experienced him coming to you? You, personally, kneeling down before you, smiling at you, examining the wounds and the stain and the sin, unhurriedly but gently washing you, cleansing you, and then smiling at you. Or maybe another way I can ask this is, has Jesus served you? And that's a different question than, has Jesus taught you? Or has Jesus led you? Or has Jesus counseled you? Or even has Jesus saved you? I'm asking you, has Jesus served you? Has he served you? Or another way we might ask it, have you received Jesus? Have you received him? At the end of that passage, um, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And this seems to be behind the interaction he's having with Peter. In John 15, Jesus told his disciples, 
you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, the gospel word. They'd already experienced forgiveness and righteousness. They had heard that word and they were clean. That word had been spoken to Peter. And so he said to Peter, "Uh, you're already clean, Peter. You're already clean. So that wasn't the question. The issue doesn't seem to be one of believing the gospel. Seems to be about receiving something. Peter says, you shall never wash me. And Jesus says, if I don't, you won't have a share in me. You know, share. Share conveys belonging. Share conveys communion and intimacy. It wasn't a matter of Peter believing. It was a matter of Peter receiving. Because we know there's a difference between acknowledgement and acceptance. There's a difference between concurrence and communion. There's a difference between endorsement and experience. There's a difference between ideology and intimacy. There's a difference between views and vulnerability. There's a difference between supposition and surrender. True faith is comprised not just of believing, but receiving. It moves from teach me to save me. It moves from guide me to fill me. On the surface, it would appear that Peter and ours, resistance is reverence or honor. But it's really pride. It's really pride. And why is this so critical? Why would Jesus make this point, a conversation that seems like just a side conversation? Because if Peter can't receive Jesus, he can't receive the self-giving God. He can't receive the servant God. In D.C., service is something that we do rather than something we give, namely give ourselves. D.C. has had its fill of being transacted upon by well-meaning do-gooders. But what it desperately needs is a community of self-givers. And so how does that happen? The Lord must act upon you with self-giving. The Lord must act upon you with himself serving you. The Apostle Paul testifies to this experience and how it results in service when he says, The life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Two things we see, right? First of all, the driving motive of Paul's service and ministry was, I know that he loved me and he gave himself for me. But another thing is about what all this theology is about anyway. Righteousness, law, Grace, every jot and tittle of theology takes the form of the self-giving God. Every bit of it. Every part of the theology is actualized and executed and applied in flesh and blood. In the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. There was only redemption with incarnation. He had to come near to them. He had to touch them. 
They needed to have that shared. No one is saved by theology. We're saved by the living and dying and rising Jesus. So I want to ask you, has he served you? Have you received him? Really what I want to ask you is, have you been loved by him? Have you been loved by him? I got a text this morning from um, a friend of mine. He was a pandemic friend. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if any of y'all did this, but during the pandemic, I started hunting for people. You know, people that I hadn't seen in years. And one of them was a guy, when I was at music school, we were in a band together. And I loved his songwriting. I hadn't seen him for 30 years. And when I did, you know, he was kind of just lost and wayward about his life. And the reports I got were everything from, like, he's living somewhere in a shack somewhere or he's off the radar. I had no idea. Finally, I got a hold of him. And we talk on the phone. And we're both like little kids that can't wait to see each other. You know, we're talking on the phone and we're going back and forth about life. And then slowly I see him take a turn toward God. And as I listen more, I think, this guy's witnessing to me. (laughs) He's witnessing to me. 30 years later, prayers had been answered. He had come to know Jesus. And so now our conversation's right. We talk about music, but we're sharing something different. 30 years later, and today I received a text from him, and he said, I'm sitting on my porch, I'm listening to the birds, I'm reading, I'm praying. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that I love you. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that he loved them. He loved them. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end, and then he picks up a towel. There seems to be something essential between the service and the love. Experiencing those two things. Let it not be lost upon us that Jesus felt, believed that he could only demonstrate the full extent of his love if if he could serve them. If he could come close and serve them. And we shouldn't be surprised at this point in this ministry, this is where we are. Because as someone prayed that before the service, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It was all about this. It was all about love service. Peter had to let Jesus serve him or he would not know the full extent of Jesus' love. He had to. At this point, you might go, wait a second. Isn't the full extent of God's love the cross? And I want to say... Let's not hurry by the washing to get to the dying and atoning, okay? Like it was a commercial break in the story of redemption. Or if it was a moral object lesson. We can't assume that those disciples would have understood that what was going to happen in the next couple days, the suffering and the shame and the death was Jesus serving them. They experienced it as tragedy, defeat, Even was he cursed. It wasn't until years later that they understood he was serving them with his death. It would be that event John puts them side by side for a reason. You know, the the, the challenge or temptation with you and I is, in our hindsight, 
we quickly just link the two together. But I want to say, I think there is a window into Jesus' love that only comes through his washing of the feet. It's a window into what that love is like. So I want to take you there and say this. Remember, he did it freely. Remember, he does it joyfully. He does it with a smile. He does it intimately and personally. He does it with attention. He does it with care. Do you experience God's love like that? Have you experienced the serving love of God? That his death has given you that sort of love I remember uh, years ago, years ago, reading John Piper's book, The Pleasure of God. And one of the chapters in there was shocking to me. It was called The Pleasure of God in in Crushing His Son. I said, what? He was just going from Isaiah. Right? It would be the Lord who would afflict his son. The joy set before Jesus. Why? Because of his love for us. His free love because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, service doesn't always feel like love, does it? In fact, right now, you know, we're getting uh, a lot of uh, articles about the the drop in good service. Where's the professionalism? Where's the courtesy? Where's the friendliness? Where's the attention to detail? And one place said, well, you know, the reason we think this is happening is because, one, uh, staff shortage. So people don't have a team around them to serve with and feel encouraged, but more so, a decrease in human interaction. It's hard to give love if you're not experiencing love, right? It's hard to give service if you're not experiencing service together. Love delights in service, and service expresses that love. And here's the thing about it. Jesus does this amazing act of service and love where people will know the hands-on and the condescending and the passionate and the touching and the washing love of God that they might understand that's what the cross is about. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's the love of the gospel. I don't know if you're feeling general love from God or occasional love from God, but the love of the gospel is that. He comes toward you. He serves you with his love. And the thing about it is he, he doesn't get tired of it. You go to the Gospel of Luke and he tells this parable. He's exhorting his disciples, be rest, dressed and ready for action. And the crowds too. Like servants waiting for a master. And then he says this. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, whoa, get ready. What's going to happen here? Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. You know that he is, that he is the master. And the master is Jesus. And the picture we're getting as we get to eternity and come together with the great feast and the wedding supper of the Lamb, your waiter, your servant will be the Son of God. Jesus will be serving you with delight. Coming around, a, a little more peas, a bit more wine. I know it sounds like, you know, how can you refer to the great Lord of heaven and earth with that sort of triviality? That's where his love lives. That's where his love lives. He'll dress himself like a servant 
We will recline and he will serve us. What a beautiful picture. The king of glory. But I want to end by just paying attention to how he serves, very briefly. Um, now, there is a tradition in the Church of England called the Royal Mondi, and it started hundreds of years ago. And uh, in the Middle Ages, what it would be on Maundy Thursday, they would, uh, the monarch would come out and find a beggar and some poor people and wash their feet and give them a coin. And so that's continued on, and now uh, you can find lots of photo apps, you know, photo ops. It now is more so there's a lot of cameras, a crowd, and they come out in the royalty, give them a little symbolic coin, and they go back in. It's a little different from how this king served. Who was the most unnoticed and forgettable servant, the one who washed your feet? The only time you recognized he wasn't there was when he wasn't there, Right? And this is the person that Jesus inhabits. This is the servant that Jesus says, this is how you'll remember me. Your acts of service won't be public service. Don't get me wrong, public service is a great thing. But so much of public service becomes a vie for ambition, right? In the kingdom, we have our own version of secret service. Right? We serve quietly, we serve unnoticed, we serve because it purifies our love. In that room, that night, the only thing those guys understood was, the Son of God served me in secret. It wasn't a photo op. He did it just because he wanted to. He wanted to teach us. And so, I want to ask you again, friends, Has he served you? Have you received him? Has he loved you? And will you serve him? Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, for uh, uh, it's, we can't get our minds around this or you. Oh, Lord Jesus, there's no one like you. Thank you for serving us with every breath of your being. Oh, Lord, let, it, let us take it in and let it be our, um, our dear prize and our precious secret. In Christ's name, amen.